You're listening to the Irish Times. It's a big day, Pat. Why is it a big day? You know why it's a big day. He's back. Tiger's back. Well, I was going to say Tiger, but actually, there's somebody else that's back. Who? Somebody very important to you. Go on. What's happening tonight? Monday night, the Tip County Board. Will William Sheedy be ratified tonight? So it seems. I didn't know that. There you go. That is very exciting. It's a big That's day far for more you. Exciting than Tiger Woods. That's what I, I had a whole thing worked out there. I was going to say he's back. He's been away a long time, and you were going to say, "Oh yeah, Liam Sheedy." Oh, sorry about that. It's okay, Pat. It's okay. You know, I try things here. I try things. They just don't work some of the time. Tell me, Liam Sheedy, are you excited? Yeah, very excited. I think a lot of Tip are excited because it kind of came out of the blue. Nobody yeah. was really expecting. Uh, everybody thought it was a straight fight between yeah. William Maher and Liam Cahill, uh, two Ballangari men, funnily enough. But Liam Sheedy obviously threw his hat in the ring or got his hat, suggested that it should yeah. be in the ring. And here he is. Because people, I mean, he, he is a guy who also went out in a high. He won the All-Ireland in 2010, stopped the Kilkenny five in a row mm. and then walked off stage, which is kind of the ideal way to go. But Liam Sheedy is, I think, the kind of epitome of a modern manager. He's not, he, he's an organiser. He, yeah. he, he will facilitate things and make things happen, which I think in the modern intercounty game at the highest standards mm. is what is needed. He said just a short while ago that he didn't have the spare time. He's a very intense job with yeah. uh, Bank of Ireland. But uh, everybody in Tipperary is definitely happy to see him back. Because well, it was funny, it, uh, as you say, it was, it was between the other two lads. And while they had, you know, obviously both done the hard yards uh, at underage level and in the background... Uh, uh, as soon as Liam Sheedy says, here, I want to do that, that's that. It basically is. Isn't it? More or less, you know. I think a lot of people are thinking that he might be a good fit too because there's has been suggestions that some of the Tipperary players in the Tipperary camp might need a firm hand on the teller. In Tipperary, Pat? Yes. You're joking me. Sometimes we talk about hurling. <laughs> but I think the thinking is that Liam Sheedy might be exactly the, the firm hand needed. Mm. In fact, it is really exciting because the Munster Championship was superb this year mm. and incredibly level. And the two bottom teams have new managers coming yeah. in that you'd imagine, like Park Fanning and Watford and Sheedy and Tipperary, you'd imagine should both give their counties a yeah. bit of a jump. We should find out tonight as well who his backroom team is. I wonder, will, will he bring Eamon O'Shea back? That would be fascinating. It would be wicked cool, yeah. Because I think Eamon O'Shea would, is the kind of tactical mind who would love to um, set himself at an unpicking the defences yeah. and stuff that are there now as opposed to how he set about trying to unpick what was the Kilkenny defence in essence in yeah. 2010. It'll be interesting, you know, the, the never go back and all that sort of stuff like because yeah. what, what's that old saying? You, you never stand in the same river twice. Like, so, it, it, you know, he's going back into a completely different hurling landscape, never mind Tipperary landscape. You know, when like when he started his first stint as Tipperary manager, it was in the in the the dark darkness of Kilkenny's utter dominance of the of the scene. And now sure it's the most open sport in the world almost, you know, at at, at the top level. At the top level, yeah. Mm. Like there are there are genuinely nine teams that could look at next year and could imagine themselves winning the All Ireland next year. Which is kind of astonishing situation Amazing, yeah. to be in like. Yeah. Anyway, uh, there is somebody else that is back. Yes. And you're not just as excited. 
No, about, about Tiger as uh, as A, you are about Liam Sheedy, or as B, the rest of the world is about Tiger. No, or indeed all those loons running down the fairway after him <laughs> last night. My God, it makes me really glad that the Ryder Cup is in Europe this year so that we don't have to have more of that. But Pat, that's a throwback. That's a throwback to old style golf when people used to run on the fairway to follow the last group down the, down the fairway. Like that that happened pre well, it didn't really happen pre Tiger, but like like had somebody tried that at the height of Tiger's fame, there would have been a mass shooting last night and on that fairway. Like there's no way the bodyguards would have let you put in a mile of Tiger back in the good old days. <laughs> it was quite a scene, I'll give it. It was very a big scene, yeah. Anyway, we will uh talk to we have an interesting show coming up. We're gonna talk to Eamon Donahue, uh Irish Times journalist and underdogs midfielder who who's going to be on later telling us about uh, being on the programme. But first of all, we talk about this guy. I just can't believe I, I pulled this off after, you know, what the season's gone through. And um... Colin Byrne is here, uh, Rafa Cabrera-Bello's caddy. Hello, hello. Uh, Colin uh, was ostensibly coming in to talk about the Ryder Cup, uh, but I'm afraid, you know, we can't really start talking about golf without talking about last night. And uh, Philip Reid is on the phone. How are you, Philip? I'm doing well. Thanks, Malky. Did you enjoy that last night? I thought it was great, yeah. It was terrific viewing. Uh, you know, to, to see him back strutting the fairways like of old, you know, the, you know it was just... Uh, old Tiger again which was great for the game and uh, to see those crowds storming up uh, the 18th I think that was the biggest trouble he had all round was yeah. getting his way through there without security It was a uh in in an odd kind of way, I was watching some of it and going, "Oh wow, this is this is like the old Tiger." I had forgotten how boring he used to make golf feel on a Sunday night, when he just kind of crushed <laughs> crushed people out of the gate and ended it within you know the first couple of holes. Yeah, well, he, he did make it interesting, didn't he, with those uh, late bogeys? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, uh, he was sweating his way through, as Colin would know. He, he tends to sweat a lot on the golf course for some reason. You know, he was changing uh, his tops uh, at the US Open and at the US PGA, dip, uh, slipping into the, to, the port to lose to, to change his clothing. But, you know, it was uh, great stuff, you know. Uh, you know, at the PGA, we got a little hint of it when he was in contention, also at Carnoustie at the Open, where the crowds, you know, he, he does move the dial, you know, the, the, needle, the needle moves with him. And... Uh, it was gr- just great to see him win again and strutting the fairways, striding around as if he owned them. And, uh, you know, d- the disappointing thing, I think, in a way, was that uh, neither Rory nor uh, Justin really got at him, you know, to, yeah. to test the metal coming down the stretch. But, uh, you know, he had enough distance, and I know Billy Horschel posted a score, but and Tiger had those late uh, couple of bogeys, you know. But uh, it's, it's great for the game. It's, it's great for the Ryder Cup this week, you know. What about that for timing? Colin, it, it strikes me sometimes, or in the past, that Tiger used to be the most popular figure, but he seems to have a better relationship with the players that he's up against these days. So would that be true? Yeah, but I notice even in his victory, he's uh, obviously it was emphatic, but he's got a bit more humility than he had in in the old days. There was more arrogance about him. But yeah, I think, look, any, everyone loves a comeback story. And there's definitely, before he used to kind of split the fairways without anyone communicating with him now he's he's kind of more banter about him he's you know he he communicates more with the other players he's always had respect for other players it's just he hasn't really engaged with them that much so um 
It's great. Look, I work in the golf industry. This is the best thing that ever happened. It guarantees our future. Yeah, so uh, I'm ecstatic about it from a selfish point of view. And the only that's the only point of view that matters, Colin. Absolutely. That's why we have you that's here. That's why I'm here. Tell us about uh, the coming week. Uh, you were saying to me there that the Ryder Cup will never be played at a better venue than than the Golf National. Well, I, I remember when it was chosen, when they were trying to promote it as a venue, I was really excited and I, I think I wrote some articles about it um, you know, uh, gushing reviews or previews of what it could have been like there. And because of all the venues we've ever been at in Europe, um, it's certainly the one, and I've been at most of them, it's certainly the one that, uh, to me, has got everything about it. It's a great golf course. Um, It's a great venue in the sense that it's um, it's close to one of the best cities in the world. And then it's a natural amphitheatre. All the, the closing holes are viewable from you know, anywhere in that area in the last four or five holes. So mm. it's it's going to be a cauldron. Um, so I, I think it's a great place. Now, I think one of the most important things to, to know that I haven't really seen much about, it's not a long hitters golf course. There's an awful lot of long hitters on, well, particularly on the US team. So um, I don't know how they're going to set it up. We were there for the French Open. It was set up running really fast, where literally the driver was taken out of play was maybe three or four drivers that the longer hitters could hit. So I think strategically, it's going to be a very interesting course. So um, from that perspective, I'll be fascinated. On, on top of the fact that, you know, all the, the, the closing holes, there's going to be drama. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that that's, that's where the tournament's at because it's going to be a great, great event, apart from the hype around it. Yeah. Philip, would it be fair to say that uh, that course will actually act as a leveller? Because we, we know the American team is very strong. They have nine major winners on it. Will the course um, even the field a little bit? Well, home advantage is a big thing in the Ryder Cup, as it is in the President's Cup. Uh, you know, the United States haven't actually won uh, an away uh, Ryder Cup since... 1993 and uh, as Colin was making the point there this is a golf course not only is it a great golf course for match play but it's a course that has hosted the French Open for so long so all of the European tour players are familiar with it okay you might say that the Americans you know they've get themselves familiar with with the golf course but you know 290 yards I think uh, Colin a lot of hazards come into play the mm. fairways are narrowed so it, it is a strategic golf course and uh, I can actually see it frustrating the likes of Brooks Kopka, Kopka and Dustin Johnson who do you know the, the, the big stick the driver is, is their weapon of choice more often than not and they're going to have to rein that in there's no no doubt about that uh, Tiger is interesting enough like you know he's just happy taking the, the the tree wood off or playing the stinger down the fairway so it's not not going to affect him too much and uh, I don't see him being used you know more than once a day to be honest you know like to protect uh, the back and uh, even with the great form that he's in now so can I just, you made the point about the, yeah, well, sorry, I brought up the point about the strategy of the course, but, it, you know, in terms of the history of the game, the fact that it's on a course that, you know, there's so many courses we play where it's a bludgeoner's golf course where it's all about length, you know, particularly in the States. So, you know, that's another uh, great reason to, to enjoy this this one here, the French National, because it is a classic golf course where you really got to think your way around. You know, just go back to Carnoustie and have, you know, an old fantastic golf course where the Open was this year. 
you know, it was the most amazing strategic show I've ever seen at a golf tournament because of how the course was set up and how it stands up to time. You know, it hasn't been lengthened hugely over the years, but, you know, not nothing about length. And, and unfortunately, the modern game's all about length. Mindless, you know, mm. m- massive long driving. So... From that sense, again, you know, not a, you know, the Ryder Cup is the popular form of golf that brings everyone that doesn't know about golf into the game and consumes them. And you know, I, I think from a uh, classic point of view, it's it's really interesting that it's on a course that's more old-fashioned. It's a newish course, but it's more old-fashioned in the sense of what it's asking you as and, a player. And from a play, playing point of view, in Ryder, like obviously, you know, strategy obviously very important in a, in a single-stroke play competition. It, is that even heightened even more in a, in a team competition like the Ryder Cup? Um, well, in singles it will be. In, in four ball, obviously, they can, somebody can have a go at it, mm. can't they? And, and they have a security with someone hitting an iron off the tee. But, um, yeah, I mean, but, yes, but I, I can't really... I can't go any further with it. <laughs> I think it is. I'm to think of examples of how yeah, it could yeah. change. But, yeah, um Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Philip, the way it's it's sort of set up now, as you say, you know, or as even Pat was saying, you know, nine major winners in, on the American team and on, on paper, they, they look to have an advantage. But the way I was kind of looking at this over the weekend and I was looking at the European team and if... To me, if the if the European team are to are to win it, I would expect it to be on the back of actually some of the rookies. You know, your John Ram, your Tommy Fleetwood, your Alex Noren, these guys... I do, I, they look to me to be almost a, a, a more dependable bet uh, at this from this standpoint than than some of the the older guys, the captains' picks. Well, it, to be honest, they're, they're rookies in name only, and mm. Colin uh, used to carry the bag for Alex Noren, and that's going back a little bit, Colin, yeah. without any, yeah. offending your age. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it just shows you how experienced he is, and he has developed and matured into you know a really top player, and he's going to be relied on hugely. Uh, you know, you know, Rory is going to have to be a leader too. Mm. And uh, when you see what happened last night, you know, he was shouting four left, four right. He was all over the place. I think he only he hit a, the first fairway and then didn't hit another fairway till the 18th hole. And yeah. he's not going to be able to play like that this week. And uh, you know when you're when Thomas Bjorn is looking for leaders, okay, you know like the Westwoods are gone now, and Poulter and uh, Rory are the ones who are going to have to stand up. Uh, Fleetwood definitely is going to be uh, used quite a lot, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what strategy. Uh, Bjorn uses in terms of, uh, how, of of what pairings he comes up with. Players obviously know who they're going to play with at this stage. I mean, so if I can just uh, interrupt there, Phil. The um, you know the big thing is how they set up the golf course, um, and I don't know. Obviously, uh, probably nobody knows. Uh, nobody's there at the moment, so it's Monday. Um, but certainly the setup. Um, I know they in the past they've like setup that you know promotes uh, open golf. But um, it'll be interesting to see how much rough there is and, and what kind of way they have set up the uh, the landing zones. Um, so that, yeah, that's I, a that's a key thing. Mm. I don't I don't see it being a birdie fest at all. It's you know no. it's 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 going to be a tough golf course. It's going to like those fit four finishing holes are fantastic holes in themselves. But when you bring in the match play, the team element of what the Ryder Cup is, they're going to be 
it's going to be a fabulous stretch of holes. And hopefully, uh, most most of the matches get that far. I remember and at the end of point, at the end of the the matches two years ago, Justin Rose complaining that the course was too easy. So, you know, and that that the Europeans would rather it was a more difficult course. Um, yeah, that goes back to the setup. Mm. Gave America took on board uh, what the Amer- what the U.S. team what brought out best, and they, they basically said, you know, make it a, make it a birdie fest, and we're going to win, and that's exactly what they did. Colin, you were carrying the bag earlier this year at the Eurasia Cup, which was kind of like a dry run for the sure. for the Ryder Cup. I'm curious at a, a tournament like this where it's it's all individual people who we have kind of crowbarred into a team. Do they do something to? work on teamwork and team ethic because you need to get everybody pulling in the same direction. Guys who are usually used to it being individuals. Yeah, well, as I did a rare column there over the weekend, I mentioned the fact that, you know, for me, it was quite interesting to see because, I mean, these are these people are islands, effectively. They, they're they very isolated in how they do things. They have a little team around them, but it's, it's you know, they're all kind of doing what the boss says. Now, you know, the compromise, and this is the part of, again, the intrigue of the Ryder Cup, the compromise of having to deal with 11, under, 11 other egos bigger than their own is, um, you know, is, is what makes it so interesting. But, um, yeah, I mean, that the whole setup of the Eurasia Cup, as I say, was a trial run. Um, it's very much the team is, is what's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of seeping around the whole week that we had there. It's all. It's not about the individuals. It's about the team, from you know the backroom team to people serving you lunch or whatever. It's all. They're all part of your team. They're going to help you do your best and win for the team, and that's very much the. Um, you know, obviously, I think it started with Paul McGinley, who was the most um, forward-thinking of the the modern captains of the of the Ryder Cup. You know, he brought a lot of that and did a lot of research into how do teams operate, how do they synergize and, and get the most out of themselves and uh, the individuals. So um, every every captain since then, I think, has, has fed off that. So I certainly know Thomas is, is very aware of that with the team he's uh, he's got around him. Colin, how does the... Uh, like, looking in from the outside, as you said earlier, like, the, the Ryder Cup is kind of golf for people who don't like golf. You know, it kind of mm-hmm. brings in people from the outside because it's, it's easily understandable and, and, it's, and yeah. it's accessible and it's exciting from the first drive on, on Friday morning. How does that, when, when you're in the middle of it, how does the, the sort of the attendant hype that's around it, does it have an effect how do, or how does it affect it? Well, I mean, you know, obviously these guys are used to, you know, particularly if you're up there at the end, and particularly in America, mm. late in the afternoon when they're all hammered, it's uh, <laughs> an awful lot of noise, yeah. either for you, usually against you if you're not an American. So um, I think most of them will have played in that. It's Obviously, it's it's turned up a few decibels, but, um, you know, I suppose you've got to feed off that as a human being, don't you? This is what you do. You do normally do it quietly. Now there's a lot of noise. This really means something. This is great. They're challenging themselves. It's a new experience. So, you know, I, th- I think a lot of guys will feed off that. Mm. A lot of guys want to be involved. That's why my guy, Rafa Cabrera you know, he loved it. Mm. He would have loved to be back there again, you know. So um, it brings out something new in them. And again, the, the having to think of other people is... Um, Something very new for them, so that's you know. Is he is he uh, very downcast about not making it this week? Yeah, I think he's a bit. Yeah, yeah, he's he, he would have been happier being there than being wherever he's you know, <laughs> going to bury himself for yeah. this week. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, you know, he'll he'll learn and grow from it and do something better, probably. Uh, Philip, will uh, you and I are going over there tomorrow, uh, and we'll spend the week uh, filling the paper with uh, stuff that probably doesn't matter until the bloody thing starts on Friday. The the amount of stuff that goes on around around the captains, obviously, you know, it kind of fills the week on on the way in. Well, yeah. See, from today, you know, they're the ones that speak to us uh, every every day. Through the week, Maliki, uh, we'll we'll, be ca- we'll get the opportunity to to see each of the players and talk to each of the players, but it's it's very much the the captain show for uh, from from today right up until the time that the first ball is struck on uh, Friday morning. Uh, one thing I found interesting talking to Paul McGinley doing the piece last week was that uh, oh he just scheduled fifteen minutes at night time at nine nine o'clock at night to talk to the players, go through review what had happened, looking forward to the following day and give he was the only one that would speak fifteen minutes straight away he'd talk to the caddies in advance of that but like they are very long days they're long draining days they're players caddies everyone are up at five a m in the morning, and that's a long time before Paul McGinley or whoever the captain is is yeah. going to be speaking to him at nine o'clock that night. They're draining days, Colin, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's what I do remember. Because I mean, a lot of the time we would get up early for you know you have weeks where you get up four times at five o'clock or whatever, particularly if they're playing badly. <laughs> um, but you know, this is this is from Tuesday on. You're going to be up for photo things and this, that, and the other that they're not used to. So that's why patience starts wearing by the weekend. You know, mm. having, having to do all that. But that's all part of the gig. Who do you think's going to win? Whoever puts best. That's what it comes down <laughs> Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what uh, that is the one thing it, it always it always strikes me with the Ryder Cup. We talk about it a million different ways well, and then it comes down uh, to Well, it's it's, a, it's another fascinating fact that they're all picked on their 72 holes performance. Yeah. Week in week out, which is what golf is. Modern golf is 72 hole stroke play. And this is a totally different dynamic. You know, you got to get it done quickly. It's a sprint, not a marathon now. Mm-hmm. So, um when you're involved with that, it's about who puts well. You know, there's no doubt it gives the underdog an edge, I think, over 18 holes. Um, because you can get hot with the putter. Yeah. Something good can happen in the round that turns the round. You know, um, it can happen to the better player too, but are the better players. But you know, if that happens, it's very hard to claw back in 18 holes. You can put over a lot of cracks. So uh, from that perspective, that's why it's again, it's fascinating. On on paper, you know, as you, as you said earlier, there's no doubt America are are uh, the favourites, but. Um, it doesn't seem to work that way yeah well I'm pumped to be going I'm going tomorrow uh, Philip is going too we'll uh, be in the Irish Times all week uh, so that's as good a reason as any to buy the paper uh, Colin be you'll be buying it and uh, enjoy it and thanks very much for coming in and thanks a million Philip I'll see you in Paris see you there Maliki cheers cheers who in the underdog support er Iran Nuapella? Tasuligam kimiok rointas na na lads shin lin agus kimiok kimiok kamas idar kundeka agus kimiok careers ka trash na underdogs you know. We have a reality TV star in our midst, Pat. We do indeed. We have Eamon Dunhu of the Irish Times, who's here to tell us about being on TG Gahar's The Underdogs. That wasn't him that you heard there. That was Paul Galvin, another star himself. But uh, Eamon has been here and you've been working on this all summer, Eamon. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the last three Thursdays, it's been on half nine. That will be for the next the next three. Um, so let's, let's for, for the uninitiated, The Underdogs is? So The Underdogs is a, basically a team of some of the best club footballers in the country put together of lads who have never played county senior. 
right. championship football to play against a county team after however many weeks of preparation. Mm. And um, so you could have played county league, could have played county under 21, minor, junior, which as long as you've never played county championship and you're over the age of 18, you're able to play. And, and so there was there was trials done. This all this all took place sort of during the summer, and and yeah. the programs are kind of catching up with time now. Are they? Yeah, it started off around May, um, and then yeah, we're just catching up on ourselves because obviously you couldn't run it off week on week now with club championships and stuff mm. like that. So even the way it was ran, I'd, I'd imagine that if this is going to be an ongoing thing, they probably would have learned that it, even in the time in itself hasn't been ideal because it still has clashed a lot with clubs. But like it, it, that's the reason why they started earlier so that it wouldn't mm. clash as much as possible. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a lot of camps. It's a camps-based thing. So, so far, we've, we've been go, you go off for three days, you do you know two days of, of training and then some kind of camera-based activities, which could be anything from you know a day out somewhere to some kind of a sports expert coming in and doing some kind of heavy training with us or some kind of any type of training with us. And then you train in the evenings and then you play a match on the last day. Mm. And that's been the setup of or the structure of the three day camps. That Obviously, your on. employer is very helpful, allowing you to go away all these weekends. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, sport does happen here on a, on a weekend, Eamon. Yeah, well, luckily enough, a lot of them initially were actually running midweek. All right. So the rest of the poor lads were all heartbroken. I was delighted um, because obviously weekends are so busy for us that you know if it's running during the week, it's easier to get off. Um, so it suited me. So they're all getting together, saying we've got to we've got to speak to producers and get this <laughs> onto the weekends. I was like, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> hold off there for a few more weeks. <laughs> I don't think it'll go down too well. Did you say that the, some of the lads have played senior intercounty in the league? Yeah, yeah. I thought you couldn't have played senior intercounty no, at all. A lot, of, a lot of lads have played say mechanic cups or burn cups and stuff like that. And some lads have played league football, yeah. There's actually some lads who have been on county panels for a lot of years, like, um, they just never played championship. Like, uh, there's one lad from Longford who played midfield with uh, Colin Flynn, and he's was on Longford panels for a lot of years. Like, I do not know how he didn't how he didn't make an appearance. I think he said one day, like, he literally was about to come on in a qualifier against Kerry, and then literally it blew up before he came on. Like, and I suppose. <laughs> Looking back now, he's kind of, I suppose, relieved that he's able to do this. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of... Yeah. Some lads have been so close and other lads kind of ha- have played minor and under 21. And some lads are just from really small little clubs and they never really got seen at all. And they're coming into this and just driving into that's it. That's the thing, because you were writing a diary for the Times uh, here at the moment. And I found fascinating in one of them, you mentioned about how you meeting a guy at the bus stop who you'd like played Freshers football and Sigerson Cup with and all that. Yeah. And how he was a quality player, but he never got a sniff at county level. And yeah. you were saying that trials don't exist anymore. So that you're now in the position where you're going back for trials, essentially for the first time, probably since college. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like that. that's kind of... When you're when you're younger, I suppose, or underage teams, or even in college and stuff like that, you always have a couple of teams to bounce off of, and you kind of you can do really well with one, and it'll be a platform to do to to kind of drive you on with the other one. But you get to a certain stage where all you have is your your club senior team, and your your whole everything depends on how that team does. Like so, you could be playing great stuff and be knocked out in the first round of the championship, and no one's going to see it, or you could be playing you know, not very well and have one really good game. Everything's just dependent on what how you're seen playing for your club team. So that's why this was a chance to go down for trials and 
you know, people come from all over the country, but you knew that like you had a chance that you were going to be looked at and judged on how you play and how good you are and what you can do on the big occasion. So it was interesting enough that I seen there on um, on, on Twitter during the week that Leash are holding now, their seniors are holding a pre-season um, trials tournament. Right. And uh, and a lot of people started putting links to 2011, um, the the club notes things that were going out that had been sent out from Pat Gilroy's Dublin, that they were holding the exact same thing at the time of 2011, a Dublin North, a Dublin South, mm. a Dublin East. And, you know, like just that kind of trials, my... my essentially did that with the hurling team this year. Did that yeah, this year, yeah. yeah. And my my mindset the whole way through this, I suppose, is that it's a it is a trial. Like you know, obviously it's a team being built and everything, but the whole thing of it is that trial that you you don't get for county teams anymore. This is kind of is it. And then obviously along with that, it's a great experience. Like so, how have you found I mean. the standard? Yeah, like well, the the standard is kind of there's some very very strong players. Um, there's there's some there's some lads who are kind of great personalities have added to it, and they kind of just drive the whole process on. Um, so, like, yeah, like the, the the first trials to the second set of trials was a massive jump up. And then the first day in Athlone, you know, you're, you're fighting for places. And, you know, still, like, no one would be guaranteed of their of their place at the moment. But, like, there'd be a 15, 16, 17 players going out there, all of them with a lot of inter-county experience. Like, mm. um, and what are the fitness levels like? Strong, yeah. Yeah, like, it's funny enough looking at the... <laughs> like when you watch the TV show and then you watch the what 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 happens in the fitness test stuff like that, you know what they show and stuff. But like there were some very high scores. Um, like this was, I didn't go into the actual detail of it, but we were told that like so to say we we did a bangs bow yo yo test, which is an intermittent endurance test. So you you basically do like a beep test, but you get a break at the end of every up and down. So you get a, a few seconds of recovery and then you go again. Um, and it gets faster and faster and faster. And the, we were told that the count, inter-county average is 19. I suppose that would be the inter-county average for Division 1 to 4. Mm. Like, But you, I suppose a lot of higher teams I'd know would be kind of hitting closer to 20. And there was a lot of us who were at that mark. But like two lads drove up over 21, like, um, which is a serious high score. Mm. Um, you know, it would be, I know, as I said, I know from the lads in my own county, county teams, like that would be the very top range of that. Mm-hmm. Like so, um, in terms of the jumping, the speed, lads were really, really, really hitting it. Like so. Um, so, if you were to put a level on it, do you reckon you're around? You're as good as a senior club at the moment. Are you better? Oh, we'd be a lot better in a senior club. Yeah, like so, we've played against senior clubs. To so say we, we played against St Bridget's, who were all Ireland champions, 2013. I think the closest team that got to Curfin last year that brought them to extra time. And like we we were we were well well on top, and we made seventeen subs. Like so, and you're after training seriously hard for two days. The evening before, you did a maximum a maximum effort endurance test. Like, and then you go out and play a match the next day. So, um, you know, we played. We we go on and play a good few. Like in this week's this week's camp that's on this Thursday is probably the first time we actually reduced the subs, and we're playing a strong club team, even stronger probably than Bridget's and. We uh, that's probably the first time we kind of really got a proper reflection of where the team is. So you can see, you'll be able to see for yourself how we stood in that. But um, I'd say like a, a really strong club team is probably stronger than a Division Four county team, in my opinion. Like if you if you watch the next few over the next few uh, months, Currafin will be playing challenge matches against a lot of those Division Four county teams and beating them. Like, mm-hmm. and I know that their preparation levels will be at different scales, but um, there's very little between that. Like, so I'd be I definitely think that 
like if we were able to play Division Four county team, we'd be very strong. We could, and then after that, you can compete. Um, so, you know, obviously the way it's gone in Division One and Two teams, are kind of the gaps have gone huge. Like, tell us about the the coaches. So it's Paul Galvin, Valerie Mulcahy, and Ray Silk. Um, and, I, and I know just from talking to you, you've been like com- really eye-openingly impressed with Galvin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he told us there the last day that we have to be very careful in, in, in the the tactics that we're, we're revealing with him, <laughs> um, which is kind of against my ethos of open-minded journalism. But, um, like, he's... Uh, like, he... The one thing is that I always think of it is like I suppose I'd be around football people all my life and, and there's you know you have really good managers and you have good coaches but when you have someone who's obsessed with football like he's obsessed with football he doesn't leave a ball down he'd be you know showing YouTube clips and like he's obsessed and what I always find with people like that is that they have a lot of knowledge but they're not able to put it across and he has all this football knowledge and he's able to put across in a session one or two points bang, there's your one or two points. You come away with it, you know, you absorb it. Some lads might, some lads might take a bit, but like, that's all he can do. And he puts those points across as clear as day and you work on it. And the next time you meet, there's two more or one of them is built on a bit and they're all kind of leading into into how he wants, and that's what we're starting to see now. They're all leading into how he wants the team to prepare. Everyone was saying at the beginning, oh, we need to, tactics and all this. But like, he's slowly been adjusting how he wants the team to play. And... Um, yeah, so the main thing I find with him is that he, it's not just that obsession and not just that knowledge, but just being able to, to put it across so clearly, um, is a skill. Like you know, mm. you can do it with words, and you know other people can can do it. You know, in, in their own different ways. But he's doing it in a football coaching session. Um, you know, I've never I've never come across anyone DCU, Roscommon teams, underage teams, club teams, anything near near him. Um, and the other two as well, you know, they're all, you know, Valerie spent one day with us kind of talking about movement for a corner forward. And I'm not corner forward, but it relates to movement all over the field. And, you know, just she got, really goes into the kind of the smaller little details of stuff. And uh, That's so funny. You were telling me about that one of the days where, and it's, it's such a simple thing that she was saying, was that... You, where to start your run and where to end your run. Yeah, yeah. She was saying, you know, never, 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 if you want the ball in a spot, never start in that spot. Make sure that you're making, you've set your runs to how to get to that spot. And, you know, I said, like, a lot of the stuff she was saying was relatable for an inside forward and she she really does kind of hammer in with focus on, on those. But it is relatable for any time you're looking for the ball or wherever you're looking for it. And, um, yeah, I, she's been very good you know, Ray is just around the camp. He's he's so so positive. He's always over, you know, at, at the things that he doesn't need to be at. You know, like just hanging around with the group at lunch and and that stuff's so important. Like, and you know, he's kind of uh, really organised with it all. And you know, the three of them complement each other really well. Um, so and it's not it's not easy because you know they're trying to run a football team and the producers at the exact same time are trying to run a TV show. And like it, it is very hard trying to balance balance the well, two. Well, that's like. funny. That's what I was going to ask you. Where does where do the two worlds collide? Like, yeah. Well, like you think of that that Curra camp last week that they showed on the telly. Like, like we were we were exhausted. Like we were absolutely. They didn't even show half the stuff that we did on that Curra camp. It was so intense. And then we go in the evenings and we train. And one of the training sessions was really intense. We played it. We played a match in it, and it was a really good match. And. Uh, and then the following day, we get up, 
and you're and like so there's there's one of the camps where we actually have to get up at seven a.m. and go and do like a, a speech or something before before the match, and then the night before we hadn't got fed and everything until like after nearly midnight. Like so, there's no there's no preparation for for football whereas you're trying to in other ways you're being brought to that elite level but in other ways the, the TV demands are just tearing that apart like so uh, it's funny because like you know television is such an artificial mm. medium you know everything is a construct so even in even in reality reality TV yeah. as this is and like nothing nothing is more real than, than doing an army camp for a weekend yeah, yeah. and getting fed at midnight or whatever like it is such an artificial thing it must yeah. be an interesting sort of line to watch ah, it's very interesting like I I even just kind of obviously when I'm kind of at the camps I can see the theme of camp and I can see exactly what they're going to go for in the show and now it's interesting watching it back but you can really see what they're kind of getting at and little things that they're focusing on and, and I suppose I can kind of see that but um, yeah like because it's, you're such a slick media trained yeah, young from, man from sitting across and Compa- compared to the other yahoos in the team exactly. that's what you mean right, yeah. just from my Roscommon <laughs> education but, um, you're not um, a Gwail Gore are you? no 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 I, I wish I was no. I was wondering watching sometimes there's parts where Galvin gives like you know a team talk with some tactical insight Oscar yeah. and then he kind of stops and he kind of goes alright lads so then one particular part was when he said and now I'm going to name the people who are staying on. I think it was the first episode. Yeah. And he switched English mm. to yeah. say that sentence because I'm sure he'd lost like well, half the team with the... When he when the selectors are very cool because they know now at this stage everything is in Irish. And he, like say, they might throw something out and they mightn't repeat everything. But like they say most of everything they say in Irish and English afterwards. But we've had some people in speaking to us and stuff like that who they do just speak Irish. And ah, you have no notion what they're saying. Like you're just there looking at them, like yeah, yeah. There's there's a fellow who's on actually tonight, and he was talking to us. Like the the concept it was very interesting, but you you understand thirty percent of like what's what's the rest of it's all in Irish, and you haven't a clue what's going on. The the game as, as against an unnamed uh, county is on October nineteenth. Nineteenth, as as things stand. Okay. Yeah. Well, by by then. Uh, uh, it will have come out who you're playing against, so we'll we'll probably have you in either before that or after it if it if it goes. Yeah, well. yeah, depending on on how it goes. Yeah, if you lose, you're not coming in. If you lose, no, if you lose, you're fired because it wasn't worth it. It wasn't yeah, worth all the mix, missed weekends. Waste of expenses. <laughs> thanks a million, Eamon Take care. No worries. Thanks, those years. And thanks as well to Philip Reed, who we had on the phone earlier, and Colin Byrne, who we had in studio. Thanks to you, Pat. Thanks, Maliki. Thanks to you, Declan, behind the desk, and thanks to everybody. We'll see you all next week.